Good morning. Today's reading comes in three parts, and if you want to follow along in the Bibles in the seats, it's page 692. The first reading is from Isaiah 7, verses 1 to 17. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, so the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken, as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son, Shear Jazub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram, and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves, and make it the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, It will not take place, it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Ramaliah's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for his line, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of men. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. The second reading is Isaiah 9 verses 1 and 2. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles by the way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The final reading is Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Claire, and before that, Frida. Heavenly Father, we pray that in the written word and through the spoken word, 
we may see the living word, your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. We hear those words every Christmas, but maybe we're less familiar with where they originally come from. This morning, we're going to look at the circumstances in which they were first spoken by the prophet Isaiah, for there's much that we can learn from the events surrounding this prophecy. I remember well the summer of 1986. For a start, that was when I got married. Then, a few weeks later, I made my first visit to the United States. While I was there, I watched a TV news bulletin, which ended with these words. And now, some world news. Northern Ireland has invaded the Republic. It was, of course, a gross exaggeration of a minor incident. However, the news of an invasion in our reading from Isaiah chapter 7 was no exaggeration. This was in the 8th century before Christ. The Israelites, who had once formed a single kingdom under David and Solomon, were now divided into two countries, a bit like Ireland today. Have a look at the map up on the screen. The northern kingdom had kept the name Israel, but was also referred to as Ephraim, and had its capital at Samaria. It had turned its back on God and was being warned by prophets of impending judgment. The southern kingdom, called Judah, was ruled by descendants of King David and still had Jerusalem as its capital. North-south relations were often tense, and now war had broken out. Israel had formed an alliance with the neighbouring kingdom of Aram. You can see that also on the map. And they were marching together to Jerusalem. They wanted to replace King Ahaz there by a puppet king. Now, if you want to follow along the story in your Bibles, please turn to Isaiah chapter 7. It's page 692 in the Pew Bibles. We read in verse 2, that the hearts of Ahaz and the people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. In our reading, we find the king inspecting Jerusalem's water supply in preparation for a siege. Then the prophet Isaiah arrived, accompanied by his son. He brought a message from God for Ahaz, about the two kings' plan to overthrow him. Verse 4. Be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smouldering stubs of firewood. Verse 7. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. Verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. It was a call to trust in God's protection. King Ahaz feared for his life, but Isaiah's message was from 
the sovereign Lord, the God of all the earth. Before him, these kings were no more threatening than smouldering pieces of wood. To help Ahaz have faith, God made a remarkable offer. Verse 11. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. That reply sounds pious, but Ahaz was merely disguising his unbelief. For he had decided on a different course of action. By declining the sign, he was actually declining God. Isaiah was angry. Previously he had said, ask the Lord your God for a sign. But now he said in verse 13, will you try the patience of my God? Ahaz's plan was simple. Israel and Aram were enemies of Assyria. You can see Assyria at the top of the map. Assyria was the region's superpower. And Ahaz reckoned that the enemy of his enemies would be his best ally. Isaiah insisted that there was no greater power than God himself. But Ahaz preferred the ruthless might of Assyria's army on his side. What he did next is described in 2 Kings chapter 16. We read there, Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and of the king of Israel who are attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord and sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. Let's take a moment to consider this decision. Ahaz's problem was that he didn't have the military strength to win this battle. He needed to be rescued. In the language of the Bible, he needed salvation. The answer to his problem lay in a defining moment of Israelite history. For God had dramatically rescued the nation in the past when they were slaves in Egypt. And Moses had celebrated this rescue with his famous song. He sang, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. The great King David also understood this. Listen to what he wrote in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. But Ahaz had lost sight of who could save him. He now wrote to the king of Assyria, Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and of the king of Israel. Ahaz was looking to Assyria for salvation. Secondly, he'd forgotten who he was supposed to be. He needed to remember his people's identity. For after the Israelites 
were rescued from Egypt, God had said this to them in Exodus chapter 19. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. God had chosen them to be his very own people. They were to reflect his character to the surrounding nations. That was to be their identity. But Ahaz had lost sight of this. He wrote to the king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Indeed, his treaty that he made with Assyria would have involved him recognizing their gods. That had become his identity. Thirdly, although Ahaz felt alone and afraid, he needn't have. For when Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, God had said this in 1 Kings chapter 6. As for this temple you are building, if you follow my decrees, I will live among the Israelites and will not abandon my people Israel. The temple represented God's presence among them. But Ahaz had also lost sight of this. We read, Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord and sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. He set more store on Assyria's presence than on God's. Salvation, identity, presence. These were the issues where Ahaz faced his big test and he failed. We learn from Second Chronicles chapter 28 that he had a pick and mix approach to religion. He didn't accept that God is unique and so he rejected Isaiah's message. Isaiah knew that Assyria was going to attack Israel and Aram in any case. Now that wasn't because Isaiah had a better grasp of international affairs than Ahaz. Rather, unlike Ahaz, Isaiah knew that God was in control and he trusted what he had said. Ahaz thought that trust in God was foolish. It was his own course of action that was the real folly. Now let's continue listening in to this conversation between Isaiah and King Ahaz. Ahaz had turned down God's offer of a sign to help him believe. Isaiah replied that God was going to give him a sign anyway. Verse 14. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Verse 16. Before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings that you dread will be laid waste. But what's the point of a sign that's going to take years to be fulfilled? It's a bit like what God said to Moses at the burning bush on Mount Sinai when he called him to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. He said this in Exodus chapter 3. 
I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This was to be a retrospective sign of God's presence. In the future, Moses would be able to look back and see that God had been with him all along. And that's the type of sign that God was now giving to Ahaz. A son would be born, and before the age of discretion, around 12 years old, the countries of Israel and Aram would be destroyed. History shows that Aram was conquered within three years. And ten years after that, when this child would indeed have been about 12, the northern kingdom of Israel was also conquered and its people sent into exile. This child would be a sign reminding Ahaz that these things happened just as God had said they would. That God had been with Judah all along. That sounds like a good outcome for Ahaz, doesn't it? He needn't worry about these enemies anymore. All's well that ends well. Actually, no. For Ahaz had rejected God's call to faith. Instead, he was asking Assyria to rescue him. And the really sobering thing about the next part of God's message to Ahaz is this. God was going to give him what he had chosen. Verse 17. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Ahaz had wanted the king of Assyria to rescue him. But the outcome was going to be oppression. Indeed, that fateful decision would cost Judah her freedom for a very long while. It's an object lesson to us that if we trust in something else in place of God, it will eventually destroy us. But how did this sign work out in practice? It said, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The Hebrew word for virgin here is like the old-fashioned English word maiden. Ahaz would have understood this to have meant that someone who was a virgin at the time would conceive and bear a son in the normal way. The emphasis was on what this child would signify. So what actually happened? As we read on into chapter 8, it seems that Isaiah was a widower and was speaking of his new wife-to-be. Just as he had said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son. So now we read in verse 3 the matching phrase, Then I made love to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. We might have expected this son to be called Emmanuel, but that's a symbolic title rather than a personal name. Certainly, that was how it was used later of Jesus. Instead, the child was given a prophetic name, Maher Shalal Hashbaz. It means quick to the plunder, swift 
to the spoil. It pointed to what would happen to Israel and Aram. We read in verse 4, For before the boy knows how to say, My father or my mother, the wealth of Damascus and the plunder of Samaria will be carried off by the king of Assyria. That's an even shorter time frame than in what we read in chapter 7. For a child will usually begin speaking at around two years of age. And it was indeed about two years later that both Israel and Aram suffered severe defeats and both kings died. But the child's name also described what Assyria would do to Judah. For Ahaz's trust had been badly misplaced and the land of Emmanuel would pay a high price for it. So the sign of Emmanuel showed how God had been with Judah, but sadly his presence had been spurned and now gloom was spreading across the country. However, Isaiah's message hadn't just been addressed to Ahaz. It had been given to the house of David. So There was still hope for the future because God had promised that David's throne would be established forever. And we now read Isaiah's vision of the future. Chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. The source of this light would be another child, a second child and a greater fulfillment of Isaiah's sign. We read in verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This mighty God would come in the form of a child. Unlike Maher Shalal Hashbaz, this coming child would literally be God with us. The zeal of the Lord Almighty would accomplish this because God is passionate about his world. I wonder if you noticed how verse 1 of chapter 9 foretold that this light would dawn in Galilee. That was the first region of Israel to be plunged into darkness when it was captured by Assyria. And later it was where much of Jesus' public ministry would take place. That brings us to Jesus himself and the announcement of his birth in Matthew chapter 1. We read there, all this took place to fulfill what Isaiah, what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of the prophecy of Emmanuel. What's more, we're told that he was actually born to a virgin. Of course, this is extraordinary. Yet, on reflection, 
It isn't really surprising, for Jesus came to this earth as both God and man. So surely his birth couldn't have been anything but extraordinary. This Christmas child, Jesus, meets our need for salvation, identity, and presence. Like King Ahaz, we all need to be rescued, for we are not what we should be. We have no answer to our mortality and we'll have no defence when one day we're called to give an account of our lives before God. But Matthew tells us that this child was to be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Secondly, Jesus gives us identity. John's Gospel, chapter 1, says that to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Today, amidst our contemporary culture's wide-ranging search for identity, Jesus offers the one identity that matters above all, being a child of God. And thirdly, presence. Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. But his presence didn't end when he left this earth. He told his followers, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's no expiry date on that promise. Indeed, Paul wrote that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, for his Spirit dwells within us. And the Bible concludes with a vision of the new Jerusalem, accompanied by these words. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. That's where the message of Emmanuel ends, except that it doesn't end. For that is only the end of the beginning. Eternity with our loving Heavenly Father and with his Son Jesus lies ahead for us. That's the ultimate message, the ultimate promise of Emmanuel. So, unlike King Ahaz, let's trust our Saviour. Let's live as children of God. Let's make decisions based on his presence, not on fear. And let's make time each day to grow closer to him, for he is with us. Amen.